Besides, we also know Corey reads everything on, like, Monday. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes I start it on Sunday. And sometimes on Wednesdays. <laughs> sometimes. Welcome back to Monging Your Ears. I'm Corey. Helen and April are with me. Hello. Hi, guys. And next song you heard at the top was the opening to the Planet Tease anime, which, uh... Helen told me five minutes ago it was vastly different than the manga, I guess. <laughs> or so I am told, anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, none of us have actually watched the anime, have we? Mm-mm. No, it's apparently very difficult to find now, so... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, was that an old Genion release? Yeah, Genion or Bandai or yeah, something. Uh, yeah, it's... Yeah. So it's been gone for a while, is what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm. I don't think it was licensed by Funim- or like rescued by Funimation in that huge rescue... Spree. Oh, Bandai. Wikipedia is telling me Bandai, and it's also telling me that show ran in 2003 and 2004, which explains why that opening we saw on YouTube <laughs> looks so great anyway. Unlike the art for the manga, since regardless of what I will say else about Planet Days, I do like the art style here. Yeah, I like it too. Yep. Yeah, so uh, quick introduction to Planet Days is uh, an- another one by Makoto Yukimura. We previously did Vinland Saga. This is his his series before that. It is about this dude named uh, Hachitaro, I think is his actual name, but they all call him Hachimaki uh, because he wears a, a Kachimaki, which is like that bandana thing on his head. And he is the uh, an astronaut, and it's like the year 2070-something, and he's just a garbage cleaner. He cleans out debris that is, uh, that is uh, orbiting around Earth with the rest of his team, who is Fee, the pilot, uh, and I forget the other dude's name, though. Yuri. Yuri. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, Fee is uh, a dark-skinned woman. Uh, the nationality is not given, or I don't remember. Yuri is Russian, but he married a Japanese woman, and then Hachimaki is also Japanese. And for the first... A uh, good portion of the first volume that Dark Horse released, which I believe these are two or three Omnibus volumes. But for, for the good part of the first volume, he's just doing this trash collection. He has these huge dreams. He wants to accomplish something in space. He wants to own his own spaceship. But he doesn't really have, like, a means to do that. And then there's this huge project where uh, everyone... Not everyone, but um, a select group of individuals will be sent to Jupiter on a mission to mine Jupiter for all it's worth, and that's kind of a recurring theme in the series of humanity mining uh, first Earth and then Mars and then further off into the galaxy and like not really knowing when to stop or the repercussions of doing, of any of this mining. But Helen, you said you didn't like this one as much. What uh, didn't grab you? I didn't like Hachi at all as a main character. <laughs> he bored me to pieces. Like, the manga starts out with a chapter focusing more on Yuri, so I thought he was actually going to be the main character, and I was like, okay, yeah, he seems fine. And then it switches to Hachi, and I was like, I've been tricked. Why am I reviewing this? <laughs> Hachi complains all the time. He says he's motivated, but he doesn't actually work towards his goals. He just kind of whines a lot. 
seems to be kind of bad romantic and interpersonal relationships on all levels just why how many more pages are left in this why justin <laughs> refused to review the second volume why <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness yeah it actually took me a while to realize that uh yuri was not going to be the main character it was like a couple chapters into it really focusing on Hachi that I was like, oh, he's probably just the main character now that <laughs> Yuri's not around that much. Yeah, because it could have just been like they, you know, they could have just rotated between those two and also Fee as well. I would have been more fine with this. I just didn't want that much Hachi. Yeah. Yeah, and I think it's more the the first half of the second omnibus that is like solely focused on him, like the story I guess I wouldn't say it takes a dramatic shift, but it really zeroes on him for a large chunk of the uh, second Omnibuster, where even I was like, what about everybody else? <laughs> he was on the ship with some other people, and eventually um, it does circle back to the other two, which I was happy with, and I felt like um, that helped it end well, but there, there's definitely like a large chunk of the second Omnibus that is about about him, and if you don't like him, then you're not. I liked him, so <laughs> it worked for me. Yeah, I had no problems with Akimaki either. Uh, I thought his ambitions were... Or I thought him like trying to chase these ambitions and him going through what was like an existential crisis at the end of Volume 1 into the beginning of Volume 2 was very interesting as well. Uh, there's a lot of metaphors going on between like what uh, what is his role in like history and then what is Earth's position in the rest of the universe yeah it's definitely there's definitely a, a lot going on. i think the issue with the shift is you sort at least i sort of wondered like is this just a story about his journey and sort of everybody else kind of rotates around that and everybody else does eventually get fleshed out um and i was under the impression that uh that fee was actually black only because of the second omnibus where they talk about her uncle, or at least partially black, where they talk about her uncle, and they, they actually deal with some um, pretty heavy racial discrimination in the second omnibus, which I was surprised by. Um, I always get a little weary when that stuff pops up in in manga and anime, because I never know which way it's going, but uh, it was handled um, It was handled decently. It was handled decently a, well with us. He could take a right turn to racist pretty quickly. Yeah, it's real it's real quick and and that wasn't the case at all it was it it that was actually um a pretty good part yeah uh, of the series Alexa, i haven't gotten to that part yet i'm about uh halfway through the second volume and i i was just reading wikipedia to refresh my memory on some of these characters and it did say that she lives in florida um mm -hmm. it does not say that she was like born in florida or anything but if she lives there she might have been born there who knows? Yeah, I don't think that it ever clarified specifically, but it, it did say at least that her uncle was like, it doesn't necessarily mean that she is, but yeah, it didn't actually clarify where she was, uh, where she might have been originally from. Mm -hmm. Although America seems like a pretty good guess, since otherwise, why would you be in Florida? <laughs> That's also true. Where you go to retire. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a land of the newlywed and the nearly dead. That's how my mom yeah. would put it. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's a, that's a new one. <laughs> yeah, they do have uh, some really good scientific realism in here as well. Uh, they have some stuff with radiation poisoning, decompression sickness, cancer from the radiation in space, uh, 
brittle bones. Like, Hachi has osteoporosis, like 26 at one point in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there is a, a 12-year-old who is, like, taller than Hachi. And I don't think Hachi's, like, super tall, but he's also 26, so he's probably, like, 5'7", 5'10", or whatever. And this 12-year-old is lar- bigger than him because she was born in space. And she doesn't have, like, or she doesn't have gravity just stopping her from growing. I'm not really sure how that works. I'm not a scientist. <laughs> yeah, I not. think she was born on the moon, so it was, like, the idea is that the gravity didn't affect her as strongly growing up, so she just grew faster. But yeah. I was a little skewed out, because that whole chapter was played up like, oh, isn't she cute? Hachi seems to like her. Oh, God, she's 12. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was kind of weird. And then he was like, what? You're 12. This is weird. <laughs> <laughs> or at least that's what I got from him. Uh, and maybe that's, that's like me reading into it, being like, hopefully he thought that, but really he didn't, he didn't think that hard enough. <laughs> to me, he seemed a little bothered by it, but yeah. that, that's how I chose to read that. So. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like the entire premise of Planetase is garbage men in space. It's based off of some fairly hard sci-fi since, let's face it, if you're if you're planning on making a sci-fi story, your first thought is not, okay, we have too many satellites and other pieces of debris around Earth. Somebody's got to clean it up. Let me write a story about this. So I did actually like all the like hardcore scientific thoughts about, okay, how would this work? You know, what would the ships be like? How often would people be able to go on these garbage collecting ships? All that. I did really appreciate that. It was just drowned out by Hachi being dumb to me i mean kid you're only 26 you need to exercise so you don't like fall over and break all your bones okay like you shouldn't be that dumb by 26 okay i don't know it's a lot of <laughs> 26 year olds helen <laughs> didn't have time for the existential stuff man she was over it <laughs> listen man i had really good bone density already at like 12 because i did irish dancing i take this very seriously <laughs> i think his attitude in the beginning is why the shift in the middle where he becomes like hyper focused on going to Jupiter and sort of the personality change that he has. Uh, maybe I shouldn't characterize it as a personality change, but to me it felt um, a little drastic. Like he was kind of lazy, but had dreams. And then the Jupiter thing comes up and he's like, forget everybody. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to get mm-hmm. to Jupiter. And it felt a little, I don't know. I'm like, mm, okay, I'll go with it, I guess. But you know yeah i mean it, it seems to me like he always had these dreams but when are you going to be able to talk about these dreams when you're on a garbage truck or a garbage spaceship all day um mm-hmm. and it's like the, the the personality change that you're talking about i don't think it's like the personality change but more like mm-hmm. a realization of something larger than himself which he didn't really get before He's always, like, uh, centered on what he wants to do, what he wants to accomplish, and how he is going to accomplish that. And now mm. it's like, what is his role in this larger scheme of the universe? That's a, that's a big, that's a big question. <laughs> yes, and helping him through it is a black and white cat. That's two yeah. cats, not like a black and white <laughs> singular cat. Yeah. Yeah, and when he finds that cat, or when the the black one at least first comes along, I thought, oh god, that was kind of a panel. <laughs> like, oh boy, they're they're gonna go all the way with that one. So yeah, when I first read that, I was wondering if it was like, um, well, when I first reread that, I was wondering if that was like a uh, a 
figment of his imagination um, of like the first philosophical readings of this uh, this 26 year old or whether it was like an actual cat that was dying and crossing the road which was both of them were disturbing in their in their own way <laughs> I hadn't actually thought that it might have been a figment now that's really going to bother me I just assumed the cat was actually there um yeah, yeah, definitely. I think they're they're normal existential questions, and then they're kind of um, um, echoed against the vastness of space, which makes them seem even larger than they already are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes uh, it, it makes for an, an interesting series. I I loved it, so I was I was interested to hear um, Helen's take on it because I just I I really really enjoyed the series. It's it, I just thought it was fantastic. So. <laughs> I mean, to get a little too real, I've got too many friends already who are in their early and mid-20s and don't know what they want to do and how they want to do it. I don't need that in my fiction as well. <laughs> <laughs> also, I have no memory of these cats at all, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, I think the first one came along like right at the end of the first volume, so... Okay, maybe that's why then. And they're a little more prominent in the second volume as he... Like, wanders into space for a week. And there are just cats in space. Okay. Yeah. Well, they're not, like, real cats. They're, like, figment of imagination cats. Oh, Schroeder's cats in space. Yeah. But there was one real cat, was there? Because... Yeah. What's her name? Uh, she, uh, Tanabe. Tanabe. Wait, I thought that was a person. Tanabe? <laughs> mm-hmm. It, she, she is. Yeah. She finds a cat. That's not the, that's not the oh. cat. She, she finds... But the cat is in space. It does get into a lot of other things, which I think speaks to Yukimura's uh, attention to detail when it comes to researching and stuff. Mm. Like, as real as the, the Viking world and Vinland saga feels, this also feels just as real as a futuristic science fiction-y world. Yeah, and there are definitely, like, some obvious references to the United States, at least towards the end. Um, general ideas about uh, war and terrorism... Um, that he doesn't really particularly uh, gloss over. Um, yeah. So those themes are there too. Even in the first volume, they, there is the terrorist that's kind of mm-hmm. seems like PETA-ish, but uh, for space uh, space continuation, and they like start blowing up all the smoking areas because the smoking areas take so much energy and resources just to clean the air of the smokers. And then there's a whole funny chapter where Fee is like jonesing for a smoke and she keeps going from these smoke room to smoke room and there's only a couple on each space station and all of them are closed from being exploded. <laughs> she drives to another space station, the adjacent space station, to just have a smoke. I, yeah, I remember that part of the story, and I also remember thinking this must be done by a Japanese person, since in the U.S. you don't really have smoking rooms anymore. Like we've gotten rid <laughs> yeah. of smoking so much. Like you've got all those bans where you can't smoke within like thirty feet of a lot of places, like universities mm-hmm. and stuff. I was like, this is such a sign that it's done by a Japanese person to assume that you would, of course, have to have a smoking place on your space station and all that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I took that to mean that. Uh that everywhere else is just more highly oxygenated or something, and they might explode if someone smokes. I figured it was just more of a thing of ventilation, since once someone starts smoking around you, the smell doesn't get out of your clothes for um, an embarrassingly long time. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) It it seemed like those, like they were, 
at least when I first read it, it seemed like they were used to that, like that 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 particular group. They that, that they did that regularly because it would be like, oh, they blew up another one. I'm like that is that like a normal thing? They're just like walking out. She's like, oh, they blew up the smoking room. I'm like, mm, okay. <laughs> I mean, it like became a normal thing, it seems. Yeah. Until it stopped because their leader was just uh, disheartened by by the non-progress or perhaps stopped liking to blow things up. I don't know. Now that was, that, that's probably the one part that I was like, okay, because that went on for so long. Yeah. And then they were like, they quit. <laughs> like, yeah. That's literally how that chapter, they're not blowing stuff up anymore. I'm like, okay. <laughs> it was like the one-liner where the dude who happens to be Middle Eastern is like, well, they always suspect the Middle Eastern, which has to be a commentary. Uh, I do remember that. That's right. Yeah, but it just like that part of it really abruptly ended. It literally like was a box at the end of that chapter. Like, oh, they quit. Okay. (laughs) I guess that's over now. (laughs) Let's move to to his existential crisis for the next 75% of the next volume. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta make room for that. Yep. So, Helen, was it only Hakimaki that you didn't like, or were you, like, sort of interested into the science fiction-y things? I don't know how into science fiction you are. Oh, I'm a really big science fiction fan. Um, my oh. parents would not have it any other way. <laughs> um, I remember there was a girl who appeared later in the manga as well on the team, but she just seemed to be interested in Hachi as a love interest, and I was just really bored by that since I couldn't understand why she was attracted to him. <laughs> and she and Yuri just didn't have enough screen time otherwise to really keep me interested in it. And I could tell that the story was going to focus more heavily on Hachi in the second omnibus since he's going off to Jupiter about the rest of the team. So it's like, there definitely won't be anyone else to bounce him out then. Yep. That's basically where I am now. Is I don't He hasn't left for Jupiter yet, but he's like in the final stages of training and stuff. And it's been all him. <laughs> yeah. I don't hate him, though. <laughs> But it, it's always interesting to get uh, different views. Uh, it made it interesting to read just to see what we all had to say about it. So, yeah. All right. Well, uh, any last words before we take a break? Going to Promise Neverland. Um, it's two omnibuses. It's I wouldn't say that it's short. I mean, they're pretty. I think they're like four hundred, five hundred pages a piece. Um, but I thought it was worth picking up. I liked it. I would reread it, which is a, a rarity for me. As much manga just continues to come out every month but i would reread it i like it um i think those are my final thoughts yeah that second book is like 510 the first book is 520 or so so wow are they hard covers no soft covers no they have a uh, color pages How is at the, the beginning of each holding up? Uh, it's mm. good uh i remember in the like at the half point of the first volume they had some binding in the middle of it as well mm like some sort of string or something. I don't know how <laughs> book binding works. <laughs> they do also have color pages at the beginning of each chapter, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I thought those were nice. Yeah, they were pretty cool. It's quite a bit more color pages than I'm used to um, in uh, manga um, omnibuses in general. So, yeah, those are nice. Yeah. I mean, the the Jojonium Jojo books are, like, the pinnacle of quality manga <laughs> manga books, then this is, like, right below that. Mm. Uh, but all right. Manatees. I liked it as well. Uh, let's take a short break, and we'll be back to talk about The Promised Neverland. Uh, 
Welcome back, guys. And now we're going to be talking about the ongoing manga series, The Promised Neverland, which is written by Kai Shirai and illustrated by Puska Demizu. Uh, I'm not sure how much Demizu influences the story or not, but the art style is really nice, so I definitely want to give credit to them for making the story look really, really great. Uh, The Promised Neverland is ostensibly set in 2045. The actual date's not quite known, Uh, but it's set at this orphanage where we have um, a bunch of different orphans living there, I'd say probably about 20 or so, and the story focuses primarily on the three brightest kids there, um, especially Emma, who's our main character, and these kids, um, they all have these tests that they undergo every day, like these um, academic tests, and Emma scores really highly, they are well cared for, you know, they've got lots of food, clean clothes, you know, nice place to sleep. Although they are kind of isolated from the world, they can't go outside like a certain boundary. There's a certain wall. And um, all all the kids know that they might be adopted out at some point, but everyone leaves the orphanage by the time they turn 12. And so there's one night when a younger girl's been adopted out, and Emma realizes, oh, she's left her teddy bear behind. Let's go bring it to her. And so she and another guy, they follow out to the gate, and they discover that they are actually not orphans, but farm stock being raised to be eaten by demons. What a twist. Yeah, I've seen someone say that they feel like this is the first really good, quote-unquote, derivative of Attack on Titan. And I see where they're coming from, mm. the idea that you live in this small, enclosed world that has a really big twist, both within and without it. But yeah, um, it's not a spoiler for me to tell you guys this, because it happens in the first chapter. You see the demons, you see the dead younger orphan, and the characters are like, oh my god, we have to get out of here. They're going to eat us. Yeah. So and we- um, Emma, Emma is also very um, stalwart that she and her friends, um, the other 11-year-olds, can't. they can't just escape on their own. They have to bring the younger children with them, because otherwise they know they are going to be condoning, um, condemning their friends to their mm-hmm. deaths. And so the rest of the first volume, which I think is out, the only one that's been out right now, I don't think the second volume's come out in English yet, um, you follow the characters as they try to figure out ways to get out, to get beyond the wall, and they discover that without them even noticing, they have been very well trapped um, with the way the house is built, there's trackers hidden somewhere on their bodies, and so it's becoming this real cat-and-mouse game of wits with their caretaker, you know, and they're wondering, how much does she know? What's the real world actually like if there's these demon creatures we don't even recognize from our school books out there? You know, what do we even know? So it's a psychological thriller and also, like, kind of an action thriller since the kids are, like, sneaking around being like, should we steal the bed sheets to make ladders? No, that'll be too noticeable. Stuff like that. Kind of horror-ish, too. Yeah, definitely. Especially mm-hmm. the way the demons are drawn. They look very inhuman. Like, they're bipedal? Bipedal? And that's where the similarities to humans end. <laughs> uh, Wikipedia says there's 37 other kids besides Emma. Okay, so more so than I thought. Yeah, it's quite a large place. And then uh, there are Emma is working on this plan with the two other smartest 11-year-olds, which is Ray, the black-haired kid, and Norman, who is the blonde kid. Uh, I don't actually see much in color of this. <laughs> 
Yeah, there's no colored pictures in the first volume that I can recall. We basically just have the covers to go off of right now. I will say that this story has been serialized um, since its beginning in the English version of Weekly Shonen Jump, but um, it's like more than a couple volumes ahead right now. So if you're like me and got a subscription to jump after it's starting to jump in, you're going to be a bit lost. I tried. <laughs> uh, yeah, especially like when did you jump in a couple weeks ago? Oh, no, no. I jumped in like last year, so around oh, chapter okay. 33 or so. That's still like... Yeah. It's like, okay, clearly some things have happened by this point, but (laughs) in some ways it was almost so far ahead I didn't spoil myself since I'm not sure, like, how are the kids getting out? Like, what's going on with the adult humans since clearly not every child's eaten at age 12 if there's actual adults around? And where are the babies coming from? Where do babies come from, guys? (laughs) And they they do reveal all those things in time. I'm current. Well, I'm not, like, exactly current. I'm a couple weeks behind. On jumps, mm-hmm. but uh, I'm mostly current on the the entire manga. And yeah, when when this premiered, it it grabbed me immediately with the first chapter, obviously. But it took a little while longer than that to like really get get the ball rolling. I think um, maybe it's easier reading it one volume, but I was reading it like three chapters every three weeks because that's just how I read jump. <laughs> <laughs> you don't make it part of your Monday afternoon ritual to read the latest jump, Corey? No. It's on <laughs> no. my iPad, and I always, like, forget that that exists, besides as a second alarm to wake me up. <laughs> yeah, I, um, this has had the first three chapters available on their website for a while for anyone to read, so I'd read those a while ago, and I was just hooked immediately. I'd been really excited waiting for this first volume to come out. Since you can't actually buy back issues of Jumps, there was no way for me to catch up. I'd just been waiting for these first couple of releases until I can read those and then get current with the manga. So I've been really excited for this for a while. And it's also a shonen series with a female lead, and she's not sexualized or anything. She's just a really smart 11-year-old. Yeah, and I know some people might be thinking, well, it's not bad if they're all sexualized. It's like, no, guys, I'm done with sexualized characters. I want, like, nice, smart 11-year-old, strong-headed, leading girl characters. I'm happy. Give this <laughs> one to me. Uh, well, I can safely say that he does not sexualize her, at least so far. Good, because she is 11. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's worth noting this week, too, because the way that I actually read this, so I hadn't read any of this. I know there's the one volume out, and the second volume is actually due out next, what is today's date? It is due out next Tuesday, I think the 6th. So uh, this week, um, on Viz's website, the whole first volume is free. It's broken into seven chapters, but I literally read the first volume like this morning on Viz's website, and I think it's free through next Monday, I guess the day before the second volume comes out. Um, I, I liked it. Like, I, I see what Corey's saying that after that first, uh, after that first chapter, it takes a little bit to get going because it feels like the subsequent chapters are, them just being like, oh, my God, we're really screwed. Oh, my God, we didn't think about this. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So it, it does take a little bit to go. And I didn't I don't think that I realized that uh, Jump still had weekly chapters. So I'm like, well, man, now I'm really behind. Um, yeah. But as soon as I finished this first volume, I looked to see when the second one was coming out. I'm like, gosh, I'm, now I've got to know what happens. Mm-hmm. So it, it's, I was on the edge of my seat like the whole time. I didn't expect to be. I've heard a lot about this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's a new Shonen series. Everybody's always like, oh, it's the next da 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 but this one was pretty good. <laughs> so, Yeah, this has been pushing this one a lot, I feel like. 
and it seems like it's doing pretty well. I think this might actually become one of the next big shonen series. Like, it's always so hard to tell when they're early on, but I feel like this one has gripped enough people that it might do it. And um, Wikipedia is saying that it's already got 2.1 million copies in print, and there's only seven volumes out so far, so that's pretty high for each. That would be, like, over a couple hundred thousand for each. So I'm hoping, since we know this is going to get an animated adaptation at some point, I'm just hoping they wait until they've got some good stopping point. Since I'm not sure if this story's going to stop until Emma and the gang, like, I don't know, kill all demons or something. Kill six billion <laughs> demons or something in the process. Yeah. Well, there is a, there is an alternative that is revealed later on. Uh, I assume it's not in the first volume, since you didn't just allude to it. But uh, where, where does that first volume end? <laughs> Let's see. Um, uh, they're still in the orphanage. Um, a second... Mother has shown up, okay. but That's she seems to be plotting. Part. Yeah, I feel like she might be plotting to undermine the other mother, and the kids have just figured mm-hmm. out where the trackers are placed on them. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly where it's gone. All right. And we found out that they're also going to have to escape with, like, six infants, which uh, sounds daunting. Yeah. Uh, they they think through all of those things. And I think a lot of the reason why uh, why I thought the, the subsequent chapters to the first chapter were running so slowly is because they had to uh, Emma and Norman had to secret keep so much from Ray and then the kids that are slightly younger than them and of course all the very very smaller kids because like they wouldn't quite understand all of this yet because they're three or five or whatever mm-hmm. and that just uh, became like too much wheel turning for me immediately after mm. the excitement of that first chapter, but it does pick up at least uh, eventually. I don't remember when. See, that kind of pacing actually made sense to me that there would be a big moment and then lots of quieter ebbing moments as the characters right. reassess, resettle, and then they leap forward into another big moment. Like that actually made a lot more sense to me than if they had just started running out in the world immediately from there. It would have been like, you were 11, you were not prepared and equipped to deal with this. Like, please spend some time becoming equipped to go, like, run off into this completely alien, foreign world, which, for God's sake, we don't even know if this is Earth. Like, this is a possibility that has to be raised that it might not be Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It wasn't, it wasn't like a bad choice. It was just not gripping me as much as I thought it would immediately. And I think that's just the high, high expectations of that first chapter. And since then, it's met that, uh, through like what I've read, but it took a while. And not like it's bad, it was just not amazing. <laughs> Corey is so picky, guys. He's so picky. I am. <laughs> but there's no way to... So like for me, as somebody that just has access to that first volume, there's no way to go back and like look at the earlier... I'm just going to be like behind. I have to follow like the, the print volume releases. Basically, yeah, since it seems to be some sort of rights issue that prevents... Is from keeping Shonen Jump issues like older than three months or so. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, my plan is to get the first three volumes and then just go with my back sub, which is part of the reason I kept it up this year. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah. In addition to enjoying My Hero Academia, I, I definitely want to be able to keep enjoying The Promised Neverland. Yeah, but like with the with The Promised Neverland, it's not it's like impossible to to do that because. Uh, Suddenly they're in this place doing this thing, and then they're in this different place doing this thing, and uh, and those in this situation, and it's bad or good or n- neutral, uh, <laughs> and like 
there is a situation where it's like where she is uh, faced with something, and I'm I'm not sure after that chapter's end whether it was good or bad. Well, that means we have a lot to look forward to. I think then. Yeah. Hi. Now I hate being behind. It sucks to be behind. <laughs> like, oh man. I've heard some people refer to this as like the Viz's next or Shonen Jump's next Death Note, which is not to say that it's anywhere anything like Death Note. It's just that kind of thriller horror uh, Shonen story rather than the typical My Hero Academia type action story. Yeah, that makes me a little worried since my memories of Death Note are that trashy thing I read on one manga in high school, and it really should have ended like halfway through the series. So uh, that's not inspiring confidence, Corey. <laughs> I mean, not in like content. It's in the in the. Uh... Also, I, al- I always thought that Death Note was really badly written. Yeah, it's kind of badly written. Oh, I was hoping that would be my hot take of the episode. <sighs> The Promised Neverland is not badly written so far. It, it feels engaging. You can understand um, why the characters are acting the way they do. And I feel like it also doesn't, as odd as it sounds, it doesn't. The kid characters, they don't feel like really stupid. They feel like kids. You feel like there's a clear line between what they can understand and what they can't understand. And the story doesn't just make them into like little blobs or anything like that. They still feel like characters. Yeah. Not super well fleshed out characters, but that's just because. As Corey pointed out, there's over 30 kids in this orphanage. We just can't get to everybody. And there's about five of them that they really focus on. It's Emma, Raymond, Ray, and Norman, and then two other uh, two other kids that are like nine or ten or something. I forget their names, though. Yeah, I think they came up in the first volume as well. It's like the five older kids were kind of being separated a little bit from the younger kids mm-hmm. so that the mom could keep a closer eye on them because she figured out Something seems to be going on. Uh-oh. Yeah, Don and Gilga. So yeah. any closing thoughts, guys, besides that April and I really can't wait to get more caught up with the series? There's <laughs> some shit that's going to go down, and you're going to be like, <laughs> what? The entire time. But what um, level of shit are we talking about? Are we talking like Attack on Titan level shit, where I'm just left oh, going, did the author have an aneurysm, or... <laughs> oh, uh, I think Kitchen... Princess levels, because if we're talking kitchen princess, I can't do that again. <laughs> uh, n- no, it might be more extreme than kitchen princess. <laughs> One thing I did notice when I started reading the more recent chapters is that I do think there's, there's a major character death early on. That was my guess, because I felt like I thought I saw someone missing. But I kind of expect Uh-oh. that of a series like this, since it's got so many yeah. horror elements and the stakes are so high. It would make sense if at least one character died. Or he's being quiet, guys. I think I got it. <laughs> I plead the fifth. That's not to incriminate yourself. You'd be incriminating the manga. I plead the manga fifth. <laughs> That's a podcast name by itself. <laughs> the manga fifth. <laughs> but yeah, I think that's all for now from us folks except for those of you guys who wanted to hear our kitchen princess spoiler cast we were going to have like a quick segment where the three of us um discuss what went down later half of kitchen princess (laughs) it will be after the break and totally spoilery so don't listen to it if you care about kitchen princess spoilers so if you're leaving us now um you can find the rest of us on twitter where we are hopefully not spoiling kitchen princess for you I'm at Wandering Dreamer. You can also find me writing and podcasting over at the Organization of Antisocial Geniuses. Oh, and I'm on an upcoming episode of Otaku No Radio, where we'll be talking about the eccentric family. Hooray. 
no idea why they want me on. I'm too young for this, but hey. There you have me on. <laughs> and you guys, where can we find you guys? Um, you can find me on Twitter at MangioRed. I only vaguely spoiled Kitchen Princess. Just don't scroll back very far. It's been a few weeks, so you don't have to worry about that for me either. Um, I float around the internet, but you can find me uh, mostly on Twitter. Yeah, I think he tweeted something about, like, I threw the book at the wall or something. <laughs> it's just, it's really something. <laughs> but we'll get there, we'll get there. You can find me on Twitter, I am Passionate K. Uh, I do another podcast called the Taiku Podcast, T-A-I-I-K-U. And uh, you can find that podcast and this podcast at taikupodcast.com. All right, guys, spoilers. <laughs> so when I mention Kitchen Princess in the shoujo panel I've done sometimes, I like to say it uses some tropes you don't see very often anymore, by which I mean character dies and they're replaced by an identical character. <laughs> like, I thankfully don't see that one too often these days. Uh, yeah, when I I had just finished that volume where uh, <laughs> Who's a Wexix dies and then the other person shows up and, like, that's the end of the volume, and I'm like... Who's this person? Why do they look similar? <laughs> Were you prepared for this level of shoujo drama, Corey? Mm, I mean, I was prepared for death because I was like, someone's <laughs> gonna die since Shana <laughs> said something's gonna happen. In the sweet, overdramatic series, someone is going to kick the bucket. Yes, I was I not was, prepared for a replacement. I was like shocked. I was just shocked by just the death in general. I just, I think it was because it was so like nice and sugary, and then. I'll do like literally walks out in front of like a bus or something like what and then he like dies and then that character comes back that looks like him and it made me angry like why would they do that <laughs> and like I really thought like maybe it's him like maybe like he survived I don't know but like it, he has it amnesia <laughs> <laughs> then it wasn't him and that also made me angry I'm like so then what and just it, uh. <laughs> and then of course <laughs> Of course, through this whole thing, she's looking for her flan prince, and she thought that was Sora, and then this dude shows up, he makes her flan, and it tastes the exact same, because she has, like, perfect taste, and it's like, he's the guy, but he's an asshole, <laughs> and then it's revealed, no, he just gave that flan to one of the hotel guests, which happened to be, uh, what's his name, the brother of Sora. Oh, God. Was it Daichi? Yeah, Daichi. Uh-huh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, he turns out that Daichi was the flan prince, but he doesn't remember because he had, uh, he had memory loss from, like, traumatically, <laughs> accidentally, but not at all his fault, killing his mom. <sighs> oh, God. Yeah, and it's also kind of funny, since Daichi and Sora are siblings, you know, they're brothers, and they don't look anything alike. You know, one's got the light hair, good boy thing going on, and one's got the dark haired, bad boy thing going on. And then this total stranger shows up and looks like one of them. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> are y'all actually cousins? Seriously, are you well, secretly cousins? It's they even like the whole mom thing where it's like, okay, she was it, was, did they say she originally committed suicide? And then it's like, no, like, 
you were just not listening and you ran off and she was crushed by some falling wood or something. What? Like, what is this? This is like Rakugo Shinju levels of trying to figure out how someone's parents died. And then the gag is like marrying all these people. Then the sons are like, this isn't my mom. (laughs) Then he just divorces them and you never meet any of these women. It's kind of weird. Well, and then the dad has that lunch or dinner with is it Daichi at the end? Like she, te- uh, the main girl teaches him how to make some rice dish or something, and oh, like yeah. they have lunch or dinner together, and he's just like, "I'm sorry, now we're bonded together again." I'm like, "No, this is like generational parental trauma that like needs therapy, not like food." Yeah, it's this, just, is, <laughs> this is hours of therapy, not one dinner. <laughs> Kitchen princess, my god, you all need therapy. <laughs> It's just, it was really something. And this is really addition something. to the series being where our main heroine, you know, is orphan, but she's a plucky orphan on a scholarship, <laughs> living in the attic, basically paying her way through school by cooking. And we've got like her main female love interest rival, who's like a model with like a really bad eating disorder and everything. So like, oh my God, guys, this series is just so, it's, it's like peak 90s dramatic shoujo. Yeah, everything everything is solved by food. Yeah, there's also the like the orphanage mother or something like that. That just continues to get sick, like at the most inopportune moments. Like she finally makes it to that final thing, the final cooking thing. Like it's her moment, like in Paris, and they're like, "No, she's dying." So she has to come all the way back, and she's fine. I'm like, so she just like. Watched her out of the biggest moment of her life because she like fell. I just like, well, yeah. to be fair, that time she was like actually having a surgery and they didn't know. But yeah, she came out on the other end just fine. Also, to be fair, this is before cell phones were really common. Just an email before she That's probably could communicate. I was just like, God. Also, I would like to I would like to correct myself. This is peak of one kind of shojo because like Basara is like another kind of peak shojo wow. with just like. Ridiculous love triangles, but also, like, ridiculous amounts of violence for a shoujo series. <laughs> Thankfully, there's no violence here aside from a character getting run over by a truck, basically. And we can see that happen. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. You don't see it happen. I think he's just kind of lying there on the pavement. Yeah. <laughs> Toru's mom, Ow. or that kid in Cross Game, or, I mean, she <gasps> touch. Yeah, getting run over is a popular way for important manga characters to die. Yeah. <laughs> So do we still recommend this series? Because I still recommend this series to anyone who wants a real shoujo ride. I definitely still recommend it. Yes, I definitely recommend it. It is a lot of fun. And then come tweet us about it after you read it. And tweet us as you read it. Yes. Yes, live tweet it. Send it to us. Tweet us afterwards. We want to hear more people who have been um, amused or traumatized by this series. Yes. I wonder how many people after my panels actually tried out this series and were like, what the fuck? Probably just Chris. <laughs> I don't think Chris read Kitchen Princess. He's read a lot of things I recommend that series, but he read safer stuff like Wish, so. Yeah, yeah get read a lot of clamp. Which is normally fucked up, but I, I only put the non-fucked up clamp on that panel. And speaking of things that we talked about on the Kitchen Princess podcast, I finished, oh wait, no, in the next podcast, I finished Fank of Thief Jean too, which I need to speak mm-hmm. about for like two minutes. Uh... <laughs> Hand of Thief Sean is like the same kind of peak shoujo as yes. uh-huh. that one's a different kind of fucked up where like she was the reincarnation of Jean but then you have all of these things with like literally God now instead of like the, the idea of God or receiving power from God uh, but then, then they meet God and they meet 
a devil or like the devil and then like she heals the devil's heart and she is the reincarnation of not Joan of Arc but of Eve like of Adam and Eve oh, oh yeah and I'm That's, like yeah. what is happening in this manga <laughs> this is a ride I do not expect to go on and you remember how the devil like broke up her parents so she'd be more emotionally vulnerable to manipulation <laughs> yes <laughs> And then they come back for like a month, and then they're like, "Sorry, we have to go again." <laughs> we have to get back to our real lives. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow! What a ride! Have you ever read Full Moon? I don't think I've read that one. Okay, we'll have to make you read that at some point because that's also a ride. I yeah. read it either. I'll have to Corey and I will have to hit that one together. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny because the anime has like this really tragic quote-unquote twist, like, 45 of the 50 episodes in, but in the manga, it's, like, much more fucked up and comes, like, halfway through the series. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> manga's always more fucked up. Gosh. Now that that's out of my system. <laughs> You've got to get it out, man. This is a series, like, I think you have to get it out. Either, like, in, like, badly written poetry or, like, a blog post. It's like something. Wait, did you just advocate for getting at your feelings on manga and spoilery, badly written poetry? Because I'm totally down for this. I, I did. I, I am very down for this. <laughs> the next podcast will just speak in poetry. <laughs> that'll oh God, keep, no, that'll do that. <laughs> what about in iambic pentameter? Oh, I definitely can't do that. I just found out what iambic pentameter is like two weekends ago, guys. I definitely can't do that. Uh, yeah, I learned about it in ninth grade, and I didn't understand it then, and I don't really understand it now. They tried to teach me in high school, but high school English class was just stupid. Mm. It's all these stories about old men, and it's like, the sun also rises, and I'm like, I don't understand why this guy is so unhappy about not having his dick, and I'm like, I don't understand this. <laughs> this is not applicable to my high school life. I'm going to pay attention when you explain I am a pentameter me. That's the bonus part at the end. <laughs> at least we're doing better than we did at the last OASG podcast episode, where Justin was worried that I made it too not safe for work. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. But yeah, guys, I think we've gotten out all of our feelings on both Phantom um, Thief Gene and Kitchen Princess. Yeah. So again, if you have feelings in either of these series, please add us. We want to hear. We want to talk about yes. these more people, especially yeah. when we're not having to worry about spoiling one another. Yep. We'll be back in your feed in another two weeks, and until then, see you guys. Bye, guys. Bye.